0: Uh, We are going to finish up with week number three here of the experience Christmas theme that we've been going through. And we've been, over the past couple of weeks, talking about the different experiences people had during the first Noel, the first Christmas. Uh, We started out talking about Herod and how... Uh, Herod was threatened by Jesus because it threatened his way of life it threatened his throne it threatened his power and he was terrified of the arrival of Jesus and we talked about how it was a threat to Herod and his life it would have required him to change his entire life and he wasn't thrilled about that so he went to extreme lengths to make sure and well failed at it but he went to extreme lengths to try to eliminate Jesus altogether by having all boys under the age of two killed and he failed at that. Last week we talked about the shepherds and how the shepherds really uh, embody the good news message at Christmas time—the gospel message of Christ being the ultimate sacrificial lamb. We talked a lot in depth about uh, why the shepherds, and, and I won't rehash all of that this week. If uh, if you, you want to go back and listen to it, you can find our podcast stuff online, and you can go back and listen to old messages. Um, but and re-listen to it. But we talked about all of those things, and today we are going to finish it up with talking about the wise men. And again, we we historically read the story of Christmas, and and we we get so used to some of these things that we miss out on the power of it. You know, the antiquity of something, and our our comfort with something, and the way that we have just heard it so many times really leads us to places where we lose the power that is within what God is speaking. And we get so used to these Bible stories that we've heard for so many years, and we miss out on so much. And so this is really the journey we're going on and have been on, is uh, diving a little bit deeper. So if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 9 through 12 to get us started today. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 verses 9 through 12. And if you got it, if you're able, would you just stand to your feet with us for the reading of God's Word today. It will also be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. Amen. Matthew chapter 2 verses 9 through 12. I'm using the Christian standard Bible translation so it may read slightly different than what you may be looking at in your hand today. This is what it said. After hearing the king, they, meaning the wise men, went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasures and presented to him with gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Heavenly Father, today as we dive into your word, I ask God that you would just add your blessing to it. God, let it flow from my lips to the hearts of your people today. God, I ask that you would grow us in our faith. Lord, that you would increase our faith, that you would increase our knowledge, and that we would appreciate the story of these wise men in a new way today in your name we pray amen and amen you may be seated in the presence of God this morning so a little backing on these wise men these wise men have traveled in uh, they'd seen the star when it first arose and first shown up and so they traveled and followed this star led them uh, to the city and they went to Herod and which is where we're at here in Matthew 2. And they're talking to Herod and say, hey, where, where is this child who has been born here in Bethlehem? I, we we want to go worship him. We want to see him. And Herod, like we mentioned at the very beginning here, is, is already kind of scheming because he's afraid uh, to lose his throne. So he's talking to these wise men and he's telling them, uh, hey, go figure out where he is and then come back to me and let me know so I can also go worship him. Uh, he said lyingly. Uh, he He was had an ulterior motive, and the wise men kind of found themselves in the middle of all of this. And uh, they, they, however, when they had finished with the king, they followed this star, and it led them to Jesus. Well, one of the interesting things about the wise men, especially when you compare them to the shepherds or Herod or anybody else in the story, they had the least, uh, especially compared to the shepherds, they had a very... Uh, lacking in extravagance experience that led them to go see Jesus after his birth. Uh, we talked about the shepherds last week and if you remember we talked about how you know this angel showed up and it's, and he spoke to these shepherds and then a heavenly host showed up and they were singing choir songs, had God's heaven gospel choirs singing and praising and worshipping talking about the birth of Jesus and his arrival. And, and so we had all of that going on, but these guys had a whole different way of knowing. They, they had a different experience. They didn't have lights, camera action, angels showing up. They, didn't, they weren't visited like uh, Mary and Joseph were to be told about the birth of Jesus. They, they, they found out through their own study. Their own time, uh, it is believed that these wise men or magi, or how, however you know them to be, were astronomers and they studied the stars in the sky. And somehow, through their studies, they came across this this sign that would be in the heavens and in the skies. And 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 they realized through this journey of searching to, to find out about the birth of Christ, because he, these guys knew the prophecies. They they were smart, intelligent, spiritual men. They they understood that the birth of Jesus was coming. And these were men that were waiting on God to show up in this way. They were working uh, diligently to study the word of God, to study the prophecies, to understand what was going on in nature and God's creation, to see what was going to happen and come forward through this birth and through this moment that had been prophesied about for so many years and generations. They were anxiously waiting and finally this moment came where they see the star and something happened through their studies where they realized it's the time. Wow. Now is the time for his birth and his arrival. You know, I, I love these wise men because they, they are people that inspire me. They inspire me because they weren't just oblivious to the world around them. They were eagerly searching and studying, awaiting the arrival of Christ. Christ. These were men that were seeking after God and the things of God. It's funny to me, like, I I think it's safe to say that most of us, and and I'm including myself in this, love when God shows up like he showed up for the shepherds big extravagant announcements a prophetic word uh uh, somebody coming to you with a word of knowledge or 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 a message in tongue and interpretation or or something of that nature where it's big and extravagant and God speaks a conference with your favorite celebrity pastor uh, preaching and, and giving you a word from the Lord and we love to hear from God that way we love to hear from God that way but what I've really truly often noticed more than those things more often than those things is that God wants to speak to us the same way he spoke to these wise men through deep intimate study and time with him these wise men didn't get a big visitation from angels it was through their study it was through the time that they spent with God seeking the signs and, and, and to be able to hear and understand and know when Jesus was arriving, that, that's how they understood that He was here. I think too, many times we're looking for the angel to show up. We're looking for the heavenly host to, to come along and, and speak something to us that's going to bring us hope and good news and joy in our life. But the reality of it is is more often than not, God will speak through the small moments, through the, through the quiet moments, through the subtle things more than he will the grandiose big things. And we've lost the art as people of God of seeking God. So many times people say, I just don't hear from God anymore. Or I've never heard from God. He doesn't speak to me. He never comes to me and tells me things. And my question is, is, well, how much time have you spent in His Word? He gave us an entire book full of things that He is speaking to us. And then people will say, well, it's just so hard to understand. It's so, and yes, there are times where it's hard to understand, but it is through diligent study. There's a reason why God said, seek me with your whole heart and you will find me. We can't do half-hearted pursuits of God. You see, he wants all of us. He doesn't want just part of us. He, I I saw a sign on a on a church uh, recently. Just actually the other night, we were driving, and um, it said, "Is there room in your inn for Christ?" Is there room in your inn for Christ? And, and I got to thinking about that. And I've heard plenty of Christian uh, Christmas Christian messages where uh, it would talk about, uh, you know, is there room in the inn for Jesus this year? Do you have room for him in your life? And I, I got to thinking about that. And, and I, I understand the message, I understand what's being said, and it's a good message. But really, shouldn't Christ just own the inn? I get to thinking about this this night, and I was even reading about it in some of my devotional time early this morning as I was praying for today, and I was reading in the Gospel of Luke, and they come to the part where they're coming into Bethlehem, and there's no room in the inn, so they get put back in a stable. I'm like, if this innkeeper knew who was being born this night, he probably would have kicked somebody out of their room and gave the room to them. Not only that, he probably would have been calling up the presidential suite room and saying, "Hey, you need to leave. We've got a king arriving today," and put them in the stable. Um. But so many times we're, we're we're not even making room in the inn. We're first thing we're offering is the stable. Nope. Nope. But the reality of it is, is, is it's not even like let's just put them in the stable. Let's let's put Christ in in make space for him in the inn he should own the inn he should own every room in that inn and if we are that inn we should have this attitude that these wise men had where we are truly seeking after him and we recognize where he is based on the signs and things that God shows us in our life we know where to follow we know where to go Because we've invested the time. They knew to follow that. Most people uh, would have probably said, oh, that's just the shooting star. The reason I think it's a shooting star is because uh, it says here in uh, verse 9, it says that it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. It doesn't stop if it's not moving. So I believe it was a shooting star. And to most people, they, they, they would say, oh, that's a beautiful shooting star. But these guys knew something that nobody else knew. They knew that it was God leading them to Jesus. And they only knew that through the intimate time that they had spent with God. How many things do we watch as God passes by in something that he's doing? Because we don't spend the time... To know, so, oh, that's a wonderful thing that just happened. That's a beautiful thing. And God's saying, listen, I, th- it's not just me doing something. It's me leading you to something as well. It's not just for you to sit back and watch and awe and wonder. It's for you to be a part of. But we miss it because we don't take the time to study and understand what God is saying and doing. God often speaks in the not so obvious ways. We need to dig deeper. I love these wise men and their pursuit of Christ because it's believed they traveled about 400 miles to get to him. I find it funny and uh, a lot of pastors joke about it uh, during the winter months uh, where we say, oh, it's winter, people are hibernating and they won't be in church. You know, we understand, you know, it's icy, it gets dangerous, all those things, but jokingly, we'll talk to each other, say, well, it's it's December and it snowed about a centimeter, so that means people aren't coming today. And... uh, And so uh, we say that jokingly, but when you start to look at people like these wise men who traveled over 400 miles to get to Jesus. And we live in a world where we are so coddled and we are so comfortable that we, we don't even want to get out of bed sometimes. That convicts me that these guys got up and traveled 400 miles, that would have been a couple of weeks journey because they didn't have a car to drive. They had camels and they walked. That's a long journey. And see, they weren't even there for the original birth in the stable. Jesus was about two years old when they came on the scene. They weren't even there for the, the first part of it. but they came and pursued Christ with their whole heart to come and bow down and worship him because they knew who he was. They traveled a long ways. And I love how when they show up, the Bible says they were overwhelmed with joy when they got to the place that he was, when that star stopped and they saw this is it, this is the place. They were overwhelmed with joy when they got to the presence of Jesus. Sometimes I wonder and ask myself when was the last time we as God's people were overwhelmed with joy when we got to his house to his dwelling place because so many times life gets in the way we we have attitudes we have stresses we have obstacles and challenges we're dealing with daily and it gets us down we complain about being tired from the long week we've had. Well, we also didn't walk 400 miles. Where is our joy in the house of God anymore? And, and you know, we, we are the ones that create the joy. It's not like we should show up and the joy should be here. It was their love and their passion for meeting and worshiping Christ that brought them the joy. It wasn't because this place, this house that Jesus was in was so special. It wasn't because they had fancy lights and all that, because they sure didn't at that point. It wasn't because the, the, there was greeters at the door smiling. It was because of their love and their passion for Jesus that they were overwhelmed with joy. You know we sing songs at Christmas time like joy to the world and we sing it without any joy in our heart. I want us today to get back to a place of joy when we come to the presence of God. This should be the time of year where where, where we should almost feel the most joy. It really shouldn't change, but this time of year when we celebrate milestone markers and celebrate these moments of our faith, key moments of our faith like Christmas and Easter and and all of those times of years, these should be times where we feel even more joy because of the exact moment we're celebrating. But we're so busy buying gifts and shopping and fighting people at the stores literally fighting people at stores in some cases. We're angry because somebody stole our parking spot. We're angry because there is no parking spot. And, and we get all worried about all of these things. And, and we lose our focus of what really matters. And This goes for all times of the year, really. Because it's not just at Christmas time that we have these things. But then we walk through these doors... And this isn't just, this isn't like a Bucyrus Church of God thing. This is the capital C church thing across the nation. There are so many people that walk into church every Sunday so downcast, so so much in despair and They don't have the joy. And they come and they sit in church, but their body's here, but their mind and their spirit are somewhere else. They're thinking about eating fried chicken after church. They're thinking about the pot roast sitting in the crock pot, which is exactly what we have at our house today. I smelt it this morning, and I said, that's like the incense that the priests used to burn in the temple. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the one that's cooking it. But I say that to say our minds are, are other places. Our hearts are other places. We can't give God an hour once a week. Help, help. And, and, and when we struggle to give God an hour once a week, I, I really start to worry about the other six days of the week. If we give him any time at all. Help. It, it's, it's one of those things where, where we really have to get back to our love and joy. Do you, do you remember what it felt like the day you first met Jesus? Mm-hmm. The joy, the peace, the, the wonder and all that you felt when you met him for the first time? Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of this too. Where we get to a place in our life, and our faith, where we forget what that felt like. And the first encounter with Jesus. This was, this was the first encounter with Jesus for these wise men. What was where's that joy at still today? We need to get our joy back when it comes to coming to the presence of God. I love these wise men. They 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 inspire me, like I said earlier. One of the other reasons they inspire me and and they uh, they motivate me and, and and convict me is they didn't come to Jesus to worship him empty handed. And on top of that, they didn't come to Jesus knowing he was the son of God. They, they knew he was the son of God. They knew he was the king of kings, the king of the Jews. They knew who he was. They didn't come to him said, hey, we know who you are. What do you have to give me? Hey, I'm here. All right. What, what do you got for me? Knowing who he was, their attitude was, what can I bring to him? Because if you know who Jesus is, like they did, they knew what his mission was on this earth. They understood that he was going to save them. And they understood what he was getting ready to give to them. So they said, at a minimum, here's what we have to offer to you. I think just part of this Western... American culture that we have, we've, we've really become consumers across the board. And I think this holiday season is proof of that. We go from Thursday Thanksgiving to Friday stabbing people in Walmart so we can get the TV. Then we go from that to, well, hey, let's sing Christmas songs, and then this, this last week here leading up to Christmas, I don't even want to think about going to a store. I I don't, because I know what it's going to be like going in those doors. We go back to rushing around being angry and greedy once again. There are kids every year. I'll never forget seeing these videos on Facebook and and whatever social media I've seen them on. They're they're everywhere anymore. There's 7,000 different forms of social media. I can't keep up with it. But seeing where these kids are getting like an iPhone or, or something really expensive, but they scream and throw a fit because it's the wrong color. That that blows me away. That we have reached that level of consumerism in, in our mentalities and in our spirits that if I don't get what I want, how I want it, when I want it, the exact color, shape, and size, and, and the, right, the right screen protector, and the right case, or or the right sizing, or it wasn't quite right, we throw a fit. And unfortunately, it's, it's been the case across the board in many cases where we treat church the same way. Where it's about, when I walk through those doors, what did they have to offer me? What, 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 what is God going to give me today? What am I going to get out of this? I, especially like the, the word of God to be preached and taught is for us to receive and hear. And there are, there are Sundays where I'm preaching things and it's not in my notes and I'm hearing it for the first time. And, and that, that's just how it is sometimes. I got notes, I got an outline, but sometimes God put something to where I'm now hearing something for the first time. And I've even gone home and said, Lord, that blessed me today. And I'm the one doing the preaching. Those, that there is something for us to receive in there, but in our attitude of worship, when we come through those doors, it's not about, oh, I didn't get anything out of the songs today. You're not supposed to. The songs are not about you. They're not for you. They're for him. There's a pastor who, uh, who one time had, I forget his name, but he, he's a more popular pastor. He pastors a church down in the southern states. And I remember hearing him tell a story one time in one of his messages where a lady came up to him after church one day and said, Brother, I just didn't really like that music today. And, and uh, it just, I didn't really care for the song choices. And he said, Well, that's all right. They work for you. Basically saying it doesn't matter if you liked them or not. We didn't pick them to make you happy. Uh, but we have that attitude of, oh, I didn't really like that style. I didn't really like that, that song. Listen, I've got favorite songs. I've got favorite worship leaders and artists that are out there. I, I've got those things. But I understand that there's a time and a place for me to listen to what I know I enjoy. And then there's a time and a place for me to put aside my preferences and the things that I want and desire in in the house of God and just to understand that it's not about what I want, it's about what He wants and it's about me coming and offering my praise to Him. These wise men didn't show up empty-handed and they didn't show up saying, Lord, what can you give to me? What do you have to offer me? They knew what He had to offer already. Salvation, hope. They knew the prophecies. They knew what was prophesied in the Old Testament, that by his stripes we are healed. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the mighty God, the everlasting. They knew those things because they'd spent the time to know them. They knew what he offered already. Now it was time for them to say, let let me offer my praise and my glory and my honor unto you. They didn't show up empty-handed. And they didn't show up with an open hand saying, what can you give me? Rather, they came and they brought him gifts. And they brought him gifts of great value. The Bible says they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I'm going to talk about these three gifts, and I'll be done today. Each gift really had a different meaning and different significance to it. When you begin to study it, uh, gold is a gift for a king. Gold is the gift for a king. They understood that Christ is the king. They, they knew that through their studies. Uh, it even talks about uh, in, in, when the message of Christ's birth is being given in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. It says, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. No wonder they brought him gold. They knew he was the king of kings. David was a great king, but Jesus is better than David. Jesus is greater than all the kings of this earth. In fact, I'm going to rabbit trail here for just a moment. I think sometimes we get too wrapped up in the other kings of this world the presidential kings, the congressional kings, the senators and the mayors and the governors and whatever else-ers that are out there, we get all wrapped up in what they're doing and how they're doing things and the corruptness or the lack of corruptness, however you see and view things, I really don't care. Because at the end of the day, none of that matters. There's going to come a day with no matter how much power whatever person had on this earth, whatever country they're over, whatever whatever government they rule, there's going to come a day that every knee will bow, including them, and every tongue will confess, including theirs, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And although we may not agree with everything on this earth, and I certainly don't agree with every decision that's been made, from whatever time span, whatever. It, it doesn't matter who, who the president is or who the governor is. There are things I don't agree with with all of them. There are things that all of them do that, hey, I, you know, I kind of like that. But at the end of the day, I don't have to stand before them at the end of my life and give an account. And if I don't have to give an account to them for the life I've lived on this earth because there is a king higher than them that I'm certainly not going to allow my joy and my peace to be wrapped up in how they do things today we serve the prince of peace and we celebrate the birth of the prince of peace and when we come before him and and lay down our, our gifts and our praise before him we are welcoming and inviting the prince of peace to be the prince of peace in our life But too often we get so wrapped up and we allow other things to take the throne of our life. Like we talked about a few weeks ago. Instead of allowing the Prince of Peace to have his place. The Bible says the other gift they brought him was frankincense. Which this is a gift for a priest. This is a gift uh, of incense that they would often burn as a sign of worship uh, unto God in the temple. It says uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I don't have time to unpack all of the things of Hebrews, but I encourage you today to go read the book of Hebrews. It really won't take you that long, especially if you are somebody who reads regularly. But I want you to read it through the eyes of this mentality of Jesus is better. If you, if you read the whole book of Hebrews, essentially throughout it, the general overarching message that I find in there is that Jesus is better than all things, than all the old ways of doing things. And if you read through Hebrews, it talks about the old sacrifices. It talks about the tabernacle and how all those things were just a sign leading and pointing to Christ and him being the fulfillment of all those things because why he is better. And so what he's saying is there used to be priests that would give sacrifices and give worship and give honor and, and all of these things that they did on our behalf. They, they made the sacrifices for sin. They did all that. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that there is another priest that is coming to take over and these, and these wise men understood that and they brought him the frankincense as a sign of worship and glory and honor unto him that used to be offered in the temple is not going to be needed anymore because there's one to come who there's one who is now here who is fulfilling all of those requirements for worship it's it's a powerful thing we have a great high priest, and I use, there's other scriptures that I could have pulled from Hebrews to use in other parts of the Bible, but I like this one because it talks about, and this, I think this is important this time of year, where it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And then he says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I I selected this and I felt God led me to this because this time of year is a a time of year where uh, I I believe that many people struggle. People who are lonely, who have lost loved ones, who, who who, who now have a smaller family gathering and it's heartbreaking and hard for them, or have a broken family that doesn't talk to each other anymore and doesn't want to get together and spend time together. People who just go through hard times. The scripture is telling us that we have a high priest that was born on this day that we celebrate who can sympathize with us in every way. Christ was abandoned by his people. He, was, he had Judas who betrayed him and stabbed him in the back. He had people who walked away from him. There was times when he felt alone, when all the disciples scattered when he was led to that cross. He understands us and can sympathize with us and the bible tells us that we can go to him now as our high priest and find comfort and peace through him he is worthy of that frankincense he is worthy of that praise and glory because he is our great high priest And not only does he offer the peace and, and all of those things, but as we talked about last week, he is the ultimate sacrifice that all these priests worked all day and all night and could never give enough sacrifice. Him with one sacrifice. Jesus gave one sacrifice, and it satisfied for all sin, for all of us, for all of time. The final gift they gave was the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was used in two ways. It was part of oil that was used for anointing, but it was also used in the embalming process. So there's kind of a twofold thing to it here, but uh, Acts uh, chapter 10, there's other places, but I I picked this one because it it really summarizes uh, what Christ did on this earth. Uh, Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. It, it, it clarifies that Christ essentially is the anointed one of God who was put on this earth to heal, to raise the dead, to free people from the power of the devil, all because God was the one who chose him and anointed him. I don't have time to teach on anointing, but essentially what anointing is, is it is God's stamp of approval on a person or a priest. They would use it. Uh, they anointed David as king. When he was still out in the, shepherd, uh, in the shepherd's fields watching over sheep. They would anoint priests for their duties. It was God's approval. It was God's blessing. And they used the symbol of oil. It's why we anoint people with oil today. They're anointed to be healed. You're anointed for a purpose that God is calling you to. Anointed to preach. To sing. To, to greet. To do whatever. And, and so God, uh, God anointed Christ to fulfill these things on the earth. He was God's anointed one on this earth and that's why they gave him myrrh. But also it was almost as if it was a foreshadowing as it was also used for embalming to say, we understand what you're anointed to do. You are anointed to come and die to free this world from their sins. So this myrrh is a powerful gift. He is Christ Christ the anointed one. These gifts are so powerful. And it's, it's so important for us to dig beyond the surface of these things. Just gold, frankincense, and myrrh—cool. those are high-value gifts. But when you dig deeper in them and you understand that they symbolize something, that, that everything, it's, it's funny, when you read the Bible, really everything points back to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Everything in the New Testament points to Christ. God doesn't put things in Scripture and do things for just random fun and happenstance. Everything serves a purpose in the Scripture. These gifts are no different. These men understood who they were coming to worship, and it's shown through their gifts. They understood that he is the king of kings, that he is the high priest, and he is the anointed one of God. They understood that, and they worshiped him accordingly. You see, through, through these few weeks here, we, we've looked at the different experiences of Christmas, through the, of the first Noel, that, that first beautiful day and night where Christ is born on this earth. We understand that Herod, the Herod experience is the experience of life change dying to yourself, giving up your way, your power, your will over your own life and surrendering to Christ, which Herod didn't want to do. And if we're honest, most of us don't want to do. We understand that the shepherds were the good news experience, the gospel experience, the 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 message of salvation and sacrifice for sin that was for us. And now we come to the wise men, they are the worship experience. They are now you understand who Christ is. And you are led to worship Him. These experiences all connect. It is a life-changing experience of the good news that leads us to worship Him this time of year. And we need to get back to that. We don't give this holiday the weight it's due. And I know that it's like a cliche thing for a pastor to say this time of year. Oh, it's Christmas. Remember the reason for the season. We say that and people go oh yeah we get it Jesus came and was born in a manger and all of those things and people visited him brought him gifts and we have cute little Christmas plays from time to time and do all those things and we lose the power I believe I said it the first week or even last week if there's no manger there's no cross and if there's no cross there's no salvation for us we need to remember and give Christ the honor he is due when he is due it Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today?